Connected by purpose, driven by passion. This is Children's Healthcare Canada's Spark Conversations podcast series. Connected by purpose, driven by passion. This is Children's Healthcare Canada's Spark Conversations podcast series. Welcome to Spark Conversations, Children Healthcare Canada's monthly podcast series. At the crossroads of children's healthcare, system improvement, and leadership, Spark Conversations is a solution focused podcast that connects the child and youth health community with system leaders who tackle wicked problems and discuss ideas to inform the development of innovative and integrated systems to serve children and youth. Spark Conversations is one component of our Spark Knowledge Mobilization Program. Spark is the shared platform for advocacy, research, and knowledge. I'm Dr. Catherine Smart, and today I'm delighted to be speaking with Allison Quigley. Allison has an impressive story. She is the Senior Vice President, Patient Care Services, and Master Plan Clinical Lead at Trillium Health Partners. Since 2011, Allison has had a series of progressive operational leadership positions at Trillium Health Partners, including Associate Vice President in 2013, Leading Women and Children's Health, mental health, laboratory medicine and genetics, pharmacy, diagnostic imaging. She's been vice president overseeing the emergency department and urgent care and leading the medicine program, ICU and patient flow and operations. Since February 2020, Allison has been serving as senior vice president in patient care services and was appointed clinical lead for the substantive master plan project. During the COVID-19 pandemic, Allison has had the privilege of leading the Pandemic Clinical Operations Centre for THP, one of the hospital's hardest hit during the pandemic. In keeping with her passion for women and children's health, Allison joined the board of Children's Healthcare Canada in 2018. Today, her and I are going to discuss an extremely important topic and one certainly close to my heart, and that is the delivery of children's health in the community. Hello, Allison. It's wonderful to, to hear all these amazing things about, about you and, and the insights you're going to bring to us today. I'd like to welcome you to Smart Conversations. Thanks very much, Catherine. Really happy to be here. I've heard you speak very eloquently about the experiences of children's healthcare in the community hospitals during COVID. We heard a lot about children's tertiary and quaternary hospitals during the pandemic, and and we still do, and we know those places are important. But we also know that 60 to 80% of children are seen outside of these settings, and that can sometimes be lost in the conversation. Hearing how THP lost your child health teams during the pandemic and now have to rebuild is a compelling narrative, and I think it's something we need to think about as we move towards imagining a truly integrated and innovated children's healthcare system, one deserving of a national conversation. So I'm looking forward to exploring that with you today. So I'd like to start out by by asking you about your experience. During COVID, we know that many pediatric units and community hospitals were shut down as staff had to be redeployed to support adults and the adult aspects of their hospitals. How was Trillium Health Partners impacted by COVID? And where are you at now in terms of resuming your services for children and youth? Thank you for, for the introduction, Catherine, and for the question. I think, um, you know, with respect to Trillium Health Partners, we are a very large community academically affiliated hospital. And um, and prior to the pandemic, um, saw 220,000 people through our emergency departments every year. So, so very, very busy, um, interesting uh, community, of course, Mississauga, which is um, 
just a little bit west of, of Toronto for those who, who don't know. We have a population of about a million folks. And with respect to the um, with respect to pandemic, we had the highest number of confirmed cases provincially. So what did that look like for us? That was about 7,000 COVID patients uh, since the, the beginning of the pandemic in February, March of 2020. Um, we've had and, and lost uh, over 800 folks who have died with with COVID. Um, for us, in in the the different waves, you know, there was always a different sort of a challenge, if you will, um, with with each wave. We did in wave five, which was I, I guess January of 2022, transfer out um, at that point over 650 patients due to overcapacity. We had 50 hospital beds on average closed every day due to IPAC. Uh, we have an aging infrastructure in one, on one of our sites in particular, and so very challenging to, um, to maintain uh, IPAC practices, uh, really, really challenged us. Uh, from a surgical perspective, we have 10,000 surgical cases beyond our target wait times right now. And of course, we're seeing a preponderance of folks uh, coming into our emergency department seeking uh, support for mental health-related issues. So, so for us, it has been um, a real challenge. And there, unlike in uh, flu years, of course, uh, there's not been a, a reprieve uh, where um, you can really catch your breath. So it's been it's been quite a challenge for us. Um, I would say that wave five back in January, February of this year was probably the most challenging time of my career, um, followed by all of the flurry of activity that happened in wave one when we really didn't know what was going to happen. Um, we ran the command center seven days a week, and it was it was really tough at the height of um, of the wave five. We had uh, three hundred and fifty or so patients with COVID. So, so that pre presented for us really significant challenges um, in terms of where, where people could get care. And in Ontario, in the GTA, there was a, a central command center um, through which the directives to transfer patients of, of all um, different phenotypes. So we transferred out alternate level of care patients to rehab facilities, for example, we transferred out acute medicine, we transferred out acute COVID, and we transferred out critical care adults. And so it was, uh, it was a really interesting time to try and balance care for everybody. And I think, as I was reflecting on um, the conversations, Catherine, we were going to have today, it really is about how we provide care for everybody. And I think that one of the toughest moments was when we uh, closed to um, to pediatric uh, care on our uh, within our walls, obviously not in the emergency departments, but um, from an inpatient perspective. And that decision was taken certainly not lightly. Um, and at a time also when we closed um, our services uh, for cardiac patients and for stroke patients, and we um, have a number of. Uh, regional programs that we run out of our our large hospital, um, cardiac is is one, uh, and uh, stroke uh, neurology is is another, and so that was was really tough to to think about doing that um, and and wanting to make sure that that there was access um, for those people elsewhere in the system, 
specifically related to children's, uh, children's inpatient care that day that we did close. Um, and we closed for, um, I think, just uh, over, over a couple of weeks in total. We, um, we knew that there was capacity in the system. And at that point in time, that was, you know, probably the system at its systemness best. Um, and and we um, and and we just worked really closely with our partners to make sure that kids got the care that they needed in a timely fashion. Wow, what an experience and, and what an amazing example of, of working with community and partners, as you described. I can't even imagine the, the communication and the logistics that, that went into that, but just also how challenging that, that must have been just emotionally um, for you and, and your colleagues as you had to make those decisions about where to focus, uh, making sure that everyone, as you said, in your community was getting what they needed. From where you sit, what do you think are the important health systems issues to consider as we continue to develop community-based hospital services for children and youth and try to strengthen those linkages across the continuum of care? Yeah, I, I think, first of all, patients, all patients are waiting too long for care right now. And costs are increasing at an unsustainable rate. We've got healthcare professionals who are exiting the industry. We certainly have seen that. With, uh, with the teams that, that provide care, who love to provide care to our, our children and youth. Um, and we are just so deeply fragmented right now. And, and I think our, our, um, our care provision is really very hospital-centric. Um, and, and I think inequities also across, um, across the, the platform uh, have, have really challenged us. So what do what do I think we need to think about? We need to think about um, how we are considering care across the continuum, and and primary care linkages with with hospital based services is important. Um, but I think one of the one of the nicest things in a pre pandemic world, and one of the greatest successes of children's health care, has been um, that really there is a decreased demand for pediatric inpatient beds. And that's because we've got really great outpatient services and, and we've got really dedicated providers who um, are able to provide that care on an, in an outpatient um, basis. And, you know, that saves the capacity for kids who, of course, really um, need hospitalization. I think we will benefit from continuing work on lining up um, our services across the continuum so that it is seamless. And so that there is um, a really nice and elegant flow between levels of care. So when I think, for example, of our partners at SickKids down the road, uh, what they do um, should be very complementary to the services that we offer, whether it's inpatient care or, or outpatient care. And, um, and, and there shouldn't be a gap. And we learned that well in the neonatal world, lining up scope of services um, in a very elegant way. And I, and I think there's opportunity to do more work there. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I think, you know, it's, it's some of the themes that we're hearing, right? Communication, working in teams, um, being creative and, and finding the way to leverage everybody to do what they do best and, and to make it seamless for providers and for patients. And, and I think that's really what we're aiming for. So from your perspective at that systems level, as we strive towards that style of care, what do you think we could be doing better? Well, I think the scope of services is a is a really important piece, but but I am a very strong believer in form follows function, and I think we need to understand who we're serving. 
Um, so, you know, for, for us in, in Mississauga, we, we know that our community is going to grow by 45% over the next number of, uh, of, of years. And so for us to, to think about the services that, that we provide, um, we know what that is going to mean for seniors. And we know also that uh, what that's going to mean for um, an increased number of children in our community. Children who are um, not born in Canada, uh, we need to think about how, how we are reaching and th- who we're reaching um, and, and who we're not providing care to. Uh, you know, our, our mission at this hospital is a new kind of health care for a healthier community, which lines up really nicely um, to work done with investing um, in healthy futures. And to do that, we really need to be thinking about investing in children's health and and starting, you know, that first thousand days um, to, to the very best of our ability and thinking about how we um, really pay focused attention as a, as a priority and not as an afterthought. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Of course, as a pediatrician, what you're saying is is close to my heart. And and I agree with you. I think often one of the most important questions is who's not receiving care and why. Um, and I think for children and youth, often their challenges and their family challenges can be invisible. So it's wonderful to to hear that your your organization is taking that systems level view and really trying to understand who you're trying to serve and what those barriers to care might be and, and how we can make sure that we're making sure every child and youth has that opportunity for health and to access what they need to get there. It, it will be a challenge for us. You, you know, I think um, we've been doing some some work as we refreshed our strategy in 2018. And we now have 51% of people living in low or very low income neighborhoods, which of course impacts health in so many ways. Yeah, absolutely. And trying to get upstream as a uh, to address things like poverty are, are often really challenging, but you're right, we see those results in the system. Um, and I think we need to be starting to think about health much more holistically so that we can have a much more preventative lens and be more upstream uh, working with people there as well. What do you think are ways that we might be able to leverage virtual care uh, to, to reach more patients and also to provide some of that complex team-based care that some children and youth need? Yeah, we you know it's it's been an experience, hasn't it? Um, the um, you know the the benefits to to virtual care for for kids obviously are uh, largely logistical. So things like travel time and um, missed work, uh, less less missed work, um, decreasing no shows and that sort of thing. Um, and and I think that virtual care is really great for some things. Um, lab follow up, for example, uh, we learned. We learned a lot about virtual care during COVID um, in terms of what works and what doesn't. And I think that our pediatrician colleagues in particular would say that it's very difficult uh, to measure some things virtually. So um, needing things, for example, like heightened weight and, and tracking developmental milestones, um, blood pressure, those kinds of things. For teenagers, of course, uh, mental health screening and conversations about sexuality are, are more challenging uh, when done so uh, virtually, because you can't control who's in the room. Um, so, you know, there's there are, are pluses and minuses. I think one of the interesting things is around uh, changes in Ontario to uh, physician fee codes, um, which come into uh, effect on December 1st. And I think in anticipation of that, most of our um, uh, pediatricians are, are bringing children back uh, to our outpatient services, um, and so there's a there's a lesson in there in there somehow, and striking a balance I think is uh, is going to be really important for us. 
Yeah, so true. And a great example, too, of how, you know, depending what we incentivize impacts what people do and, and how they end up working. So Alison, I know that before moving into leadership positions, you were a NICU nurse and you were leading transport services at SickKids in Toronto. And I know, I think for most of us as clinicians, those frontline experiences really inform how we lead and how we see the system. I'm curious if you could tell us a bit about how those experiences inform your current work. Yeah, it's been such a journey and and such a privilege to provide point of care, uh, frontline care, uh, care to patients and families. I often think about about my physician partners and who are in leadership positions, and um, am a little bit envious that they uh, are able to still practice their craft um, and to to go to the well and 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 experience firsthand that great privilege. Um, I would say to answer your question that for me it's really put a thumbprint though on 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 my career and and you know I can do now what I do because I did that first um, and I and I think it um, it it just it there's uh, a real socialization that 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 comes when you're providing point of care frontline care to to patients and families and you know I think back to those early days Catherine and NICU and you know, folks would would say sometimes, you know, how could you how can you do that work? And you know, it's a place where miracles happen, and you know, children will will always inspire and amaze you. And I think you know, I take that inspiration and amazement, and and you know, carry that with me. Um, the the opportunity that I had in uh, 2003 when I was working at the hospital for sick children, and was the program director of the acute care transport team during SARS was a really interesting one because, um, you know, that was, uh, you know, I, I think a, a good example of where I um, wasn't providing frontline care, but was supporting a team to do so. And, you know, that was certainly not like the pandemic, but in, in so much as we didn't know really what was going to happen, we were preparing for the worst. And so um, really those nurses and physicians and respiratory therapists were inspiring in terms of what they could do. And I realized at that point that my job was actually making sure that they could do what they needed to do. And I, I would say that that has been a bit of a mantra for me as, as I move uh, through my career, as I've moved through my career, and would say that that very much um, was, that, that feeling was very much present um, in that day in, in January when we made the decision um, to, to close doors. And, uh, you know, we, we just needed to make sure that everyone was, was being taken care of and that teams could do what they needed to do. Um, so, I, you know, it's, um, it, it, it's just something I carry with me, I think, is the short answer. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and just that compassion and passion for the people that you support that are delivering the care and that recognition that sometimes hard decisions need to be made. But ultimately, that's what we need to do is make sure care gets to people. Um, I think that's so much the experience, right, of doing something like transport medicine, where there's lots of uncertainty and lots of unknowns. Um, and, and it's really important to have had those frontline experiences to inform how we relate to people in leadership. So thank you for your work and, and for sharing your story with us today. And I can only imagine just how challenging uh, the last over two years has been for folks like yourself who have tried to keep the system going, keep care getting to patients. And we really appreciate you sharing those reflections with us. 
So at this point, I'm going to move into some rapid fire questions. And there's no right or wrong answers here. This is the fun part. The hard work is now done. Uh, But tell us the first thing that comes to mind. So I'd, I'd like to start with who has had the biggest influence on your career and why? Ooh, that's a tough question. I, um, I think, uh, and, and as, as it turns out, so I, I, I would be hard pressed to think of only one person, but I could name several people and give you, how about this? I'll, I'll give you one thing that I, that I have, um, that has been an influence uh, for, uh, for each of them. So uh, Mary Jo Haddad, who was the former CEO of, of Sick Kids, who actually hired me as a young new grad way back in, in 1987, I think uh, influenced me greatly because I would hear her talk about influencing the life of a child. And that that is something that um, that is a, a light that, that burns within me. Um, our former CEO, Michelle D'Emmanuel, um, certainly who is just one of the smartest people, women I've, I've ever met, um, our current CEO, Carly Farrow, who, whom I would say uh, I learn about leading with compassion on a daily basis. Uh, Sheila Jarvis, a former CEO of Holland Blurview Kids Rehab, um, just very elegant and um, I think really taught me the importance of um, really being meticulous about human resource practices. And then um, finally, uh, my uh, friend and colleague Catherine Hayward Murray, who uh, is re- has just announced her uh, just announced her retirement actually after 37 years with this organization, um, and she has roots within women's and children's, and uh, I think has shown me how to be an effective leader and an effective nurse leader, um, and how you how you move through um, different channels um, and never lose your principles. So all of these incredible women, Catherine, um, I've been very, very fortunate to have been influenced by. That's wonderful. What is one thing that you feel deeply grateful for right now? I feel deeply grateful for the talented people I work with. Um, you know, whether it was um, back in stars and, and, you know, reflecting back just now on, on uh, the team's uh, who were working on transport, it's, there's just such a, a can do. There's a roll up your sleeves. Um, we've got to, we've got to do this. And, you know, I, I would be remiss if I didn't reflect on and, and share with you um, rounding that I had done recently with um, the pediatric team. Um, and they're, you know, it's really tough right now, right? It's, it's not they're, those those pediatric nurses are are in a really tough spot. They've been providing care for adults. We've actually only had since March of 2020 27 children who have been admitted for COVID. Um, obviously, there have been more kids we've looked after with COVID, um, but those numbers pale in comparison to the demand that we had and the care provision we provided to adults. And you know, it's um, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to them. And um, you know, we've got to think about as we take a step back how we're going to take care of everybody, um, and that means our our healthcare providers as well as the patients and the community we serve. Absolutely, the people in our system are really incredible, and it's wonderful to hear a leader like yourself who who clearly sees that importance of focusing on the people that that work with you and, and for you. What is the number one thing right now you think we need to consider to move children's healthcare forward in a positive direction? 
Mm. Um, well, I, I think, and I believe this always, united, we have a stronger voice. Oh, Allison, I totally agree. Never has there been a more important time to be united and work in teams as we move to transform healthcare, not only for children and youth, but really across this country. And I think there's just huge opportunities in front of us. Allison, I, I want to thank you for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and hearing your experiences and the wisdom you've gained over a career of service in our healthcare system. To everyone who's listening, stay safe and be well. To stay up to date on all our Spark offerings, including upcoming podcast episodes, visit our website at childrenshealthcarecanada.ca and subscribe to our Spark news bi-weekly and e-bulletin if you haven't already. Thanks for listening to Spark Conversations. And before we go, show some love for your new podcast series by leaving us a review and then joining us again next month. Thank you and hope to see you then. Music